Today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network, as we continue to get through chatting with all of the coaches in the WCC. Today's guest, the head coach of the Pacific Tigers, Coach Leonard Perry Jr. Coach, appreciate you joining. How is life in Stockton these days? <laughs> uh, life is great. Um, you know, you, you you move over, Dan, a few inches on the bench. You, you wait on it forever. Um, you're feeling great. And then one year passes, and it's like dog years. Um, you feel like President Obama, when he first came into the White House, he looked all great. He looked just so handsome. And the guy leaves the White House um, after 12 years. He looks like he's 88 years old. Um, so <laughs> you, you go through a year, uh, and, and uh, at the end of the year, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Um, so you, you age uh, probably about seven years in one. That's that's funny you mentioned that. I, I've always felt the same for players when they go play in Europe after having spent some time in the NBA because the two practices a day, you know, just all the the, the stresses and frustrations of not living in in your home country. Uh, I can imagine it's it's similar. Now you mentioned kind of that stress when you when you go from being an assistant and making suggestions to a head coach to now being the head coach, accepting suggestions, sifting through, and then making a final decision. Where, where does your thought process lie in taking those suggestions in and kind of sorting through those? Well, you know, I, I think it, it's you got to go back to your staff. Um, if you've got great guys around you that you trust, um, that you know have been through wars, um, I, I don't think it's very difficult to lean on them and get – some answers in the heat of the moment, during timeouts, halftime, um, uh, post-game, uh, pre-game, uh, get those answers that you need and feel comfortable executing those. Um, when your staff isn't settled, um, you know, you feel even more isolated, more alone. Um, and, and that would be, you know, even if you had a guy leave your staff and you got a new guy coming in, even if you're hiring a brand new staff, all of those things are components in, in making those decisions. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to hire guys that I knew um, and I trusted. And, um, you know, during the games, you know, we could, we could you know, the things that they came up with, um, the suggestions, um, I understood it. Having sat in that seat for so long, um, I knew that the guys that I had understood the when, where, and how. Um, sometimes assistants can have great ideas um, but they can bark them out at the wrong times. And, you know, the head coach can, you know, it's, the timing's off. Um, so I think the idea could be great, but he couldn't, he can't use it right there in that moment. Something else is going on. He's trying to communicate with his point guard, uh, making sure they're on the same page, uh, making sure that the next three plays that they're running are the right ones going to the right guy at the right time. Um, so all of those things, you know, they're, they're small components, but man, they, they all add up to, to uh, ingredients that you need for, for the complete pie. I like that when, where, and how in regards to how a staff communicates with a head coach. When, when you took the job last summer, it was kind of in an, in, 
not normal timing. I, I don't want to say not normal circumstances, but the timing wasn't normal because Damon Stoudemire goes to the NBA with the Boston Celtics. You slide over and, and take over after, I believe, being the associate head coach. How much time did you have to put together a staff last year? Because I can only imagine a lot of guys that maybe you would have wanted to have conversations with were already already with other staffs but you have to kind of figure out who's in your corner, who you want with you leading into your first year. Um, you, you really, the, the, the timing was um, really late. Um, it, it was really late and no, no fault to anyone. Um, the timing was really late. Um, so guys were already settled. You're talking about a July guys have already been out on the road recruiting, um, planning for next year, scheduling for next year. Um, really some recruiting for the following year after that. So um, it, it took a while um, to get um, the pieces together and to make sure they were the right guys. Um, you know, what we were adding to the staff, um, we had guys still on the staff um, that were going to other places. Um, you know, J.D. Luster was still with us when Dame left and then later ended up going to San Diego State. So um, you know, it, you didn't even have all of your, your spots open. Um, so those didn't come open until completely open until um, another three weeks later, you know, and then we had um, one guy who uh, was still on staff, but decided later on to make a change, but um, he didn't decide that, you know, he was with, uh, he was on Dame staff, but he didn't decide that until, um, you know, months later. So, um, it, it's still you still we were still putting this together um, November 10th I think we made the final hire and we played November 14th <laughs> yeah it sounds like uh, lots of moving parts for you to get your roster and your coaching staff together last year uh, I can imagine you know assistant coaches or up-and-coming young coaches are always looking towards head coaches as mentors and kind of guideposts for their own careers who would those mentors for you have been when you were a young coach coming up? Oh, well, obviously, um, you know, the guy that I played for, Larry Eustachian, the guy that was the guy that gave me um, a, a big opportunity in the business. Um, Joe Cravens um, was the guy that um, I was a GA for um, and welcomed me with open arms. And then Larry Eustachian hired me. Um, and he hired me at a time when, when hiring um, young African-Americans wasn't necessarily fashionable at the time. Um, and coach hired me at Utah State, and, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth and started from the bottom. Um, it was very old school. Um, you know, when you when you came in then, you, you did all the gutter work. There was no there was no such thing as director of basketball operations. There was no such thing as director of player personnel. Um, there was no such thing as basketball secretaries. You were it. Um, so... I learned the business from the ground up. Um, and that was, now I look back, that was the cool thing. Um, but starting out, you, you were doing, you, you got sponsors for camp, you ran summer camp, you flipped burgers to feed the kids at summer camp, you did the insurance for summer camp, you, you did everything that there was to do to learn how to run a complete program. And the basketball piece was the last part of how you learn the business and you know coach was very old school and uh, that's how you learn the business and and that's the way he taught it um so when you got your opportunity you knew from a to z 
everything that involved a program. You knew, you know it all. There was not one small thing that goes on inside of a program that you didn't know how to do. Um, so those, those were invaluable to me. And then obviously on the outside, um, Tim Floyd was a big influence um, because he was a big influence on Coach Eustacey. Um, and, and then my some of my idols were, were John Thompson, um, Nolan Richardson, because those guys were on a national stage. And when they spoke, they spoke for, for all um, young African-Americans, um, you know, getting into this business and trying to find their way. Um, and they were on such a big stage and, um, you know, kind of uh, leading the forefront on, you know, um, us getting a chance to get a break in this business um, at some point. So those were those were my heroes and guys I looked up to um, in this business and, and guys that were helpful to me. Well, so a couple of tremendous names that you mentioned there, John Thompson, Nolan Richardson, obviously, uh, but but then Larry Eustachian and, and Tim Floyd, who, who were successful in their own rights at different stints. When you take a look back at, at year one for you with Pacific, when I watched you guys play and then you look at your final season record of eight and 22, I saw a better team than eight and 22. When you take a step back a month or so after the season, you get a chance to, to, to break film down, you know, evaluate your team, your players, talk with your staff. What were your feelings about year one for you? That's a great question because um, they change every day. Um, you know, some games you're, you're thinking, you know, could we have ran, you know, 45 high-low in this situation? And, and maybe that would have enabled us to get the ball to um, a different player at a different time. And, and we scored a basket and won the game. Um, we were in a lot of close games. Um, you know, could we have zoned more? Um, could we have blitzed more out of timeouts um, to, to give our kids uh, a better shot at throwing a different wrinkle at, at uh, certain teams? Um, because we were right there to win a lot of them um, and we didn't get it done. So you never stop combing over, over those games. Um, I'm not a big woulda, coulda, shoulda guy, but I do look back and think, you know, is there a way um, we could have executed something better that would have made a difference in the outcome of some of these close games? And we had a lot of them um, that we thought, you, you think about it, Dan, we, we're up seven at USC. Um, up 38 minutes and we don't close it. Um, we're up five at Cal, um, played really well with six minutes to go. Um, it's a five or six point game and we don't close it. Um, we're up at Santa Clara, um, I believe, you know, four or five points at half um, and, and we don't get it done. We come out the second half, we're a little flat offensively and we don't get it done. Um, we had so many of those games and, um, you know, we had our opportunities at Pepperdine um, we had our opportunities at Portland, who was playing outstanding, both games, um, we're right there, um, and we don't get over the hump. Um, so you think about, you know, what you, what you could have ran, um, maybe that had gotten a different player, a different look offensively, um, and really, you know, made it a one possession game with, with less than 30 to go um, in both of those games. Um, so as a coach, you, you just never stop turning over those rocks and watching film and, you know, they're sleepless nights. Um, they really are, they're sleepless nights. Um, 22 times, um, it didn't go your way. So, you know, you're, you're, you're up 
um, first thing in the morning, before you go to bed, um, even having lunch, you're taking a walk and you're constantly playing this on a reel in your head um, as a coach. And um, it never really leaves you. Do you have a go-to spot or to watch film? Do do you like to watch it late at night in your office, in your basement downstairs? Do you like to watch it on an iPad or taking notes? How do you break down film to prepare? You know, I'll do it. I'll do it anywhere. Um, I'll I'll do it at the office. Um, I I love doing it at home. Um, I kind of equate it to studying for a test. I used to do my best studying at night the night before. Um, When I wake up in the morning, things are more fresh on my mind. Um, I have a much clearer understanding of what I want to do and shoot around um, the adjustments I like to make. Um, So I like watching it um, late at night um, and and play it because it's so quiet. Um, I'm a night owl. Um, My wife will call me an insomniac. Um, (laughs) Lots of coaches are though, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I, I don't sleep at night, so I, I like watching it late at night, and then I always like to to end the night with with Law and Order, um, SVU, um, with with Benson. Um, that, that's, you know, and Detective Tutuela, uh with with Ice T. Um, I, I love that show. My dad was a cop, um, a retired cop on the west side of Chicago, so we talk about those stories all the time, and the things that he's seen and. Um, you know, so I like watching that. I end my night with, with SVU, Law and & Order, and, and, uh, but before that is tape. Um, so the later, the better for me. Um, it sinks in better. So I, I always am fascinated when, when I know where a player and his family may have grown up from. It sounds like you're from the Chicago area. Uh, I was in the Portland area, so your former head coach at Pacific, Damon Stoudemire, was an influence to me at a certain to a certain level when I was growing up. Got a chance to play with him, ended up being teammates later on. He's one of the all-time greats to come out of the Portland area. If you're from the Chicago area, give us obviously your all-time great, whether it's Isaiah Thomas or whatever, the guys that people would know. Give me the all-time great that people would know, and then give us an undercover all-time great that unfortunately maybe didn't make it past high school or college level, uh, but was a tremendous player? Great question. Um, Spent all my summers in Chicago. My dad's from Chicago. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, So my my all-time great um, is Isaiah Thomas. That's my all-time great. I I saw him when when he was leaving Indiana. Um, The summer leagues were Malcolm X on the west side of Chicago and I'd be there three hours prior to the games and just to watch him get out of the car and walk from the car into the gym. And he was, it was like a Messiah. Like he'd get out the car and it'd be, it'd be people around him. It was first time I'd ever seen like uh, uh, an immediate entourage be around a guy and he would walk in like a Messiah. Like he just would be like, he would split the crowd and I'd already be there. I had ran around the court, you know, shadow shooting, pretending to be him. And uh, he would come in and and he had this baby face smile and um, he would play. And, you know, it was the first time I saw a guy handle a ball like that and go anywhere he wanted to go on the floor and he would do things. And I'll never forget the crowd going, Ooh, and then he'd do it again and they go, ah, and he'd do it again and they go, oh, and then, you know, so he, 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 he was in command of the entire west side of Chicago and I had never seen anything like it. 
Um, so I would take all of that back to Dallas um, and, and I would try to incorporate some of that in the way that I played. Um, but he was, he was my hero. Um, I'd never seen anything like a guy that was my size that looked like me that was in such command of a basketball game and could make it turn out any way he wanted to at any time. Um, you know, so that was, that was, uh, that, that was the guy for me, um, and, and watching him get to the NBA. Um, and that, that was, you know, he was, he was a game changer for me. I remember he did an interview and, uh, you know, his mother had said, you know, well, Zeke doesn't do it. You know, he doesn't do anything around the house. All he does is, is play basketball. My mom had asked me, um, you know, to do the dishes. That was one of my chores, do the dishes. And I, I'll never forget turning to my mom going, Ma, I can't do the dishes. I'm going to be Isaiah Thomas. I can't. Isaiah Thomas doesn't do dishes. <laughs> my mom looked at me and said, when you make Isaiah Thomas money, you don't have to do the dishes. But the money you make right now, um, you're going to do these dishes every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was still washing dishes. I wasn't, I wasn't quite Isaiah Thomas. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that was the one thing I couldn't get over on my mom. That's awesome. I, I love it. It's always fun for me to hear stories about players or coaches and, and hearing some of the influences, not just maybe by being involved, by, by direct coaching, but even just by watching. Yeah. Um, because I think, uh, you know, with the day and age of the game and young kids now, unfortunately, they watch too many of these highlight films and they learn the game in short snippets as a part as opposed to taking in the whole big picture of a game and how it all works together or being at a summer league, like you talked about and seeing the influence and the impact that one player like an Isaiah Thomas can have on the entire gym in how the game is played. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different deal. Um, you know, you, you really understood the game when I would go to Chicago and um, I play on the playgrounds and they would pick teams and I'd, I'd probably be the last guy picked. And, and as soon as we picked teams, you know, I was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we picked teams and um, the other team would come down and a guy that would be, um, you know, would be homeless, would say, he'd turn around and say, we're in a two, three, we're in a two, three, shorty, get to the corner. I play the middle, you play the wing, you two play the guards. And we'd be in a two, three zone and a pickup game in the summer at one o'clock in the afternoon and nobody's watching, but we're in a two, three zone. And, and the guy to pick the team would expect everybody to know what the coverages were that no, you you're on that. Take that area. No contest the shot, man. And after the game, um, I'd ask around like, who's that guy? And they go, that's Kenny Kite, man. He, he played at Crane high school. Um, he was one of the greatest players, you know, ever to play on the West side of Chicago. Um, that's Anthony Manuel, um, you know, played at Illinois for two years. That's Kenny battle. Um, you, you, I had no idea who these guys were, but you would be playing against some guys that had tremendous careers and something derailed them. And so for me, it was like a catalog of information, like what happened? Like, how did you end up here? Like what, a, you know, whether it was an injury or, or you know, gang affiliated or, or guy, you know, um, had something personal happen, like all these different stories and these guys were tremendous players and they, they would be at the park all day 
and and they would they would you would play and then you'd be done and they'd say young fella you got to work on your left hand you can't go left um they're gonna force you left and you can't go left you can't decision make young fella you got to see the floor young fella that's a two three zone put somebody in the middle um you would learn all the facets of the game by these guys that were former would would have gone on to be hall of fame guys um if they got a shot and i loved just hanging around with those guys from sun up to sundown you know some of them had drug problems some of them had alcohol problems you know but if they got out there they could string it together for about 45 minutes and they could show you something that you'd never seen before i love it yeah that's uh you know for myself growing up in the portland area anytime at an open gym when you had the older guys that would kind of share experiences or share little bits, uh, I would try to soak it in. And I think that's something that, you know, hopefully older players continue to pass down to younger players. Cause I know the coaching fraternity does a great job of doing that in regards to managing the game and coaching the game. Wanted to ask you now about the transfer portal. Um, yeah. It's become such a big thing with, you know, over 1600 players in the portal. I think when you look at the WCC as a league, the coaches in the league have done as good a job collectively as any other league in the country of, of managing. I, I don't know, necessarily know if managing their roster is the best way to put it, but keeping the good players and the deserving players on their rosters. And then you look at some of the additions, you know, University of San Diego yesterday just announces Jaden Belair transfers from Stanford to USD. This program, or excuse me, this conference looks like it continues to enhance itself nationally. And a lot of it's due to the coaches, you know, doing some great research and work in the transfer portal. Would you agree with that? Um, there's no question. Um, it, it's a part of our lives now. It's a part of our DNA. And you either adjust or, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of what we do. Um, Dan, I, I agree with you. I think um, coaches in our league have done a fantastic job of keeping the kids in their programs that um, are very important to their programs and this conference as well. Um, but we, we got it. We got it. Let's just be honest here. Um, the WCC is what it is um, because of what Mark Few and Randy Bennett have done year in and year out. Yes, BYU has been vitally important um, to our league. Um, Coach Sendek and, and what he brings um, to our league, the cachet um, that he brings, um, Lorenzo Romar, um, the cachet that these guys bring to this league, it makes this conference um, a notable league from top to bottom. Um, people know who we are. You, you say West Coast Conference um, to a kid from Brooklyn, New York, he knows, like he knows. You say it to a kid from Minnesota, he knows. Um, you say it to uh, a kid from uh, a kid from Delaware. He knows. Um, he knows much less um, the kids on the West Coast. There's not a kid on the West Coast that doesn't know about the West Coast Conference. And you'd be foolish not to use that in recruiting. Um, that that just would, you wouldn't be very bright. Um, so I take it and run with it. I embrace it. Um, we've got you know one of the best coaches to ever coach in, in Mark Few in our league. Um, Gonzaga plays anybody in the country. Um, so why would I not use that in recruiting? I, that just does not make sense. Randy Bennett is one of the best coaches to ever do it. Um, you get a chance to match, not only match wits, um, to recruit against, to compete against, 
um, to put your school's brand um, up against nationally known schools. Um, San Francisco is nationally known um, with what they've had in their history. Um, what Bob Thomason has did here at Pacific um, throughout the years. And yeah, we, we used to be in the Big West Conference, but don't, don't ever forget UNLV was in this league during that time. Um, that was one of the, the top, UNLV was Gonzaga at the time. Yeah. Um, they, were winning, they were vying for national championships at the time. Um, New Mexico State was outstanding at the time, Long Beach State. Um, so there's a lot of great stories and tradition um, in this league with the schools in it. Um, and we embrace it. Um, we embrace it. We talk about it in recruiting. Um, I'm honored by it um, and, and very fortunate and blessed to be in it. Um, so um, we wave the flag of the West Coast Conference and the players and coaches that have coached in this league. Um, now we've added Steve Lavin. Um, <laughs> I mean, the list goes on. Um, so um, we use it in recruiting. We use it in everything we do. Um, we use it in speaking and speaking to our boosters and alumni. Um, this is a great thing, and, and I'm super proud to be a part of it. Yeah, I think the league is uh, continuing to elevate itself. And by the coaches that you mentioned that have, have recently come into the league, I think it's it's going to bolster the recruiting efforts even more. You mentioned one of the old coaches at Pacific, Bob Thomason. Yeah. Years ago in high school, he recruited me, tried to get me to go to Pacific. Yeah. It wasn't for me, but they had the number one pick on the roster at the time, uh, Michael Ola Candy. Yeah. That was a big recruiting pitch at the time that, hey, we've got NBA prospects. Yeah. What, what does a recruiting pitch look like for Pacific? I know you mentioned the great league, um, but but if you're going into a, a conversation with a high school recruit or a kid in the transfer portal, uh, what's the recruiting pitch about Pacific? Well, um, it's one of the top academic institutions, not only on the West Coast, we feel like in the country. Um, you get a degree here, it puts you in um, um, the top 90% of earners when you're done playing. Um, so when you get a job, um, you're going to get a really good job. Now, a lot of schools say it, but it's nationally, um, nationally known for when you're ready to start your career, you get a great job, a great start. Um, we, we ask kids, what are your goals? Well, I want to play. I want to play in the NBA. Um, well, you know, if you're serious about that, the only way to play in the NBA is to play against NBA players. Um, so how do you do that? What, what league are you going to that, that's producing NBA players? Well, um, I'd like to argue that the WCC is churning them out, um, you know, three or four um, in the first couple of rounds per year, um, the last five, six years. Um, we're having guys like Kessler Edwards um, finish in, in maybe sixth place and getting drafted um, and by December of the same year starting for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, not to mention the guys that are coming out of Gonzaga, the guys at St. Mary's put in the pros, BYU. Um, this league produces pros if, if that's what you want to do. Um, if you feel like your game can get to that point, we produce pros in this league. And it's and yes, it, they're at Gonzaga, they're at St. Mary's, but they're also um, at Santa Clara, which which um, Williams may get drafted this year. Um, you know, so uh, – Bouye has got a shot of getting drafted out of San Francisco. Um, so we tout that. Um, we're proud of it. Um, we put it on the table. Um, Jalo trip for us two years ago was with Memphis Grizzlies, um, with the Utah Jazz, um, and was with the uh, Atlanta Hawks G League team. I, I think he's, I think he's really got a shot. Um, so 
we tout that. We think draft picks come out of this, this league year in, year out. Um, I've worked in the NBA. Um, I've worked in the front office of an NBA. I've been on, on the bench of an NBA um, franchise. And I know for a fact that, that uh, the NBA takes the West Coast Conference very seriously. So we, we put that on the forefront um, in recruiting. And we also put that uh, getting an opportunity um, to come and play and compete at the highest level um, and have a chance for an at-large bid um, is a big, big deal um, in recruiting. You know, sometimes you're recruiting against, if it's a power five, um, then we just put the record out there. Like the West Coast Conference does very well against any power, power five in the country. Um, our schools in our league, it's, it's tough to schedule right now because schools don't want to play um, schools in the West Coast Conference. And we haven't actually won any of those games, but we've put, we put the fear of whatever faith you're in, um, in some schools. And, and, you know, this was our first year. So um, we fear no one. We, we, we try to get all comers and uh, we'd love for Power Fives to come here and play. We, we think we'd fare, we'd fare very well. It's the off season, even though I don't know if you can really call it an off season now in college basketball with, with the ever increasing demands of the transfer portal, the NIL. But for you, what what do you do to get away from basketball? Because every coach has to unwind and be able to recharge their batteries. Are you a golfer? Do you fish like Coach Few? Uh, you watch movies. How do you want to unwind and just get away from it? Well, my, my son um, goes to school here. Um, he's a media X major, so he's really um, into making movies and, and music and, and that part of it. So um, I've always been a huge music guy. Um, I'm a big music guy. We've raised our family, going to festivals and concerts, and um, anything we can do as a family to see concerts. We've, we've seen everything from Shania Twain to Lil Wayne um the cold play um anytime there's a, a big concert we like to go as a family um i was just fortunate enough to be able to take my kids to coachella that was my first time going um unlike anything i've ever experienced before um we had a blast but our, our way of getting away I, I love doing behind the scenes stuff at movies um you know i if there's any way of movies being shot and i can kind of see the, the behind the scenes part um it, you know, I, if I can see the behind the scenes of how concerts are put together and the stages and how um, the stagehands break the stages down, get the equipment back on the truck, watch the artists um, as they come in, as they prepare, all the behind the scenes stuff I love. Um, it reminds me of game prep, um, it, it, you know, how much an artist puts into his show. Um, I love the buildup of that. And um, I'm, I'm really a, a kind of a a nerd for that kind of stuff. So that, that kind of takes my mind away um, if I'm not spending time um, with our children or, or our grandchildren. So um, I'm really a simple guy that way, but I love behind the scenes stuff and concerts um, any, anytime. I, my wife and I can take our kids and we can go to a big concert or something that, that's cool for us. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, Coach. I wish you nothing but the best of luck on the recruiting trail this summer. And uh, I'm sure we'll connect again uh, this fall leading up to the, the great college basketball season. So thanks for joining. Anytime, Dan. Thank you for having me, man.